Hello, everybody. This is Jack Maseko with the Moving Into the Future podcast. Today, I'm joined by Oliver Petrovic from Savills. Oliver, thank you for joining us today. Uh, just for our listeners, a little background. Oliver has been in uh, the commercial real estate industry for 15 years. He's been at Savills for nine years, where he's a managing director. He's seen uh, a, a lot uh, over the course of his years in the New York City market. And we're excited to have him on today to talk a little bit about uh, you know, his history in the, in the industry and the New York City market in general. Oliver, thanks for joining us today. Jack, great to be here. Um, glad we finally got to do this. We've been talking about it for a while. We have been. Yeah. We have been. And this is our, uh, you know, first guest outside of the organization uh, to come on. So, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on and being a part of it. This, this is going to be very exciting. Humbled. This is great. Thank yeah. You. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's, uh, let's really start at the beginning. Um, I, I think as listeners can hear you, you do have a, 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 an accent. You are from England. Uh, you came here when you were 18 years old with with kind of a, a, a hope and a dream. Is that correct? Yeah, and less gray hairs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was you know it's 22 years ago I got here and just you know bright eyed and bushy tailed and had no expectations other than you know let's try and let's try and do something in the states and go to college and see what happens. Right. And then when you came here, you did not have any ambitions, you know, initially to get into commercial real estate, right? I mean, you were mostly focused on soccer and and or, you know football. And, uh, and having you know, fun. taking it from there. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's it. Um, no, I think I, I wasn't probably too dissimilar to many people going into college in that you kind of get into college and you're not sure what you want to do. And I thought I wanted to be um, a doctor. And so I, I had this ambition of like, I'm going to study biology. But, um, you know, got to the States and figured out, you know, what organic chemistry was all about and biochemistry and genetics and, you know, quickly learned it perhaps wasn't for me but I did finish my degree in biology so that was the one thing that I you know I, I finished what I started which I was happy about um, but had no idea that I was going to end up in real estate and um, and really was kind of a bit stuck at the end of college like you know what's next where do I go from there right exactly and I think that's a you know a position that a lot of people have been in you know I went to school for sports management and uh, was in a similar position where I got done and, and realized that the opportunities there weren't as uh, plentiful as I was hoping for. And, you know, I, I pivoted and, and, and I found new opportunities. And, and I believe that's what you did, too. I think you were you were living with your girlfriend and then you were working at like a smoothie bar, right? That's right. You just <laughs> got to make some cash however you can. That's um, it. I was I was living with my girlfriend and worked at a smoothie restaurant in Long Island. And it wasn't the American dream that I had hoped for. But um, I was working towards it and, and that's, you know, I was being nimble and agile and kind of just, you know, finding your nose and figuring things out. And I think that's probably been a nice segue into real estate because sometimes it is trying to sniff out opportunities and, you know, try and search where, where the next step is or the next opportunity is. Right. And, and just stepping back a little bit, there are certain qualities that, that lead you into these type of roles, you know, whether it is real estate or even moving for myself where, you know, it's you, you, you eat what you kill and you got to go out there, you know, and get it. And, you know, they don't call New York City the concrete jungle for, for you know, just just giggles. It's It really is, you know, a, a fight out there and there's a lot of opportunity, but you really got to go out there and get it. And, and you know, just, just kind of pedaling back a little bit, you did play soccer in, in college. And excuse me, I call it soccer, you know, American football. We'll let you off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, how do you think that really helped you kind of, create who you are and, and create some uh, valuable qualities and, and you know, skills and uh, practices that, you know, you take into what you do today? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I think, look, you, you, 
these interviews with pro athletes are not the best measure of you know how sports can prepare you for what they always say you know we had adversity we had adversity and we got through it and that's why we were successful and um I didn't really have any adversity in sports but what I did have was sort of discipline and sort of commitment to saying you know I'm not going to play pro I'm not going to you know make money and make this a career after college I knew that early on but I still put in kind of the you know the hard hours and the commitment to it and the dedication that I had of myself and also I think what the team would have expected of me um you know to be a four-year starter and to show up to practice when it's raining and you know hold yourself accountable and I think that that kind of sets the foundation, a good foundation for wherever you end up, whether it's in sports or, you know, whatever career field you end up in. I don't think um, anything bad comes of that. It's only positive stuff. So that was, that was, those were the lessons that I learned through college. And some people say that's the argument that college has as well. Like, are you really going there for school or are you learning routines and disciplines and kind of finding your feet? And that's, that was sort of all encompassing for me, both on the academic side and the athletic side, but also being a foreigner in a new country, right. kind of packaging it all together and saying, you know, who do you want to become and, you know, what's important to you and, and maturing at an early age. Exactly. And that, you know, team aspect too that that sport offers and especially being a foreigner too, you know, being a part of that team uh, allows for some stability, but also, you know, the, 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 the concept of accountability too which is very important, you know, in your professional career as well. So, so I certainly understand that um, as well. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at it from two different vantage points right now. You know, you had the foundation of uh, sports and, and the discipline and, uh, you know, accountability that you mentioned. And then you, you, you get done with that and sports is over. And, and now you're really just fighting to survive, not to sound dramatic, but, you know, as, as a figure of speech. And you wound up, you know, just living with your girlfriend and working where you could. And then, you know, real estate kind of uh, came to your doorstep. And, and, you know, tell us about how that uh, opportunity presented itself. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I don't want to say sort of the stars aligned, but it was just sort of not even good fortune. It just happened the way it did and that I didn't know the career path after college that kind of spoke to me. And was with my girlfriend and thought well I need to I need to get a job you know what what field what industry what excites me um and still had no clue but I'd at least you know kind of closed the chapter on medicine I knew that I didn't have the grades I wasn't going to med school I hadn't done internship at any hospitals so again the foundation I think that is needed and expected for kind of the further education in medicine or in law or in teaching I just didn't have that you know I played rugby in college as well so I was a two-sport athlete you know and enjoyed social life, like I, I did everything. So um, I kind of just started applying to jobs online. I mean, I don't know if people still do that these days. Like they, they, just, yeah. they just happy click and just apply for everything. Shout out indeed. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a plug. <laughs> but I, uh, that's what I was doing. You know, kind of a lot of deer in headlights, just lost and spending time on the internet and applying for jobs and submitting my resume and applied for um, a, a, what was a brokerage position. I knew nothing about it and um, got a call back from the recruiter and he said he was going to be flying to New York and uh, wanted he got my resume and wanted to interview me and unfortunately the time that he was arriving in in New York I was actually taking a vacation with my wife we were going to Florida for a week and um, I said to him look I'm not going to be around unfortunately that week it's sort of spring break people are going to be out of town I've, I've got this booked I've had it booked for months uh, can I do a phone interview 
And he said, listen, it's not an option. Like we do in person, we'll meet a bunch of candidates in New York City. And I said, well, can I fly to Chicago? They were headquartered in Chicago. We're not going to be around. We're kind of doing the recruiting tour through all the major cities in the US. And so that was it. I said, okay, I'm sorry. I mean, I, there's nothing else I can do. Um, and got back from Florida, a couple of months go by, still making smoothies. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a call back, same guy. We didn't find anyone in New York. We're going to be back, you know, next month. Uh, what's your availability like? And of course, I was free and met him and met the my partner at the time that was going to be hiring me. And he said, go get your real estate license and, and the job is yours. And that was... You know, that was summer of, I don't know, 2017, 2016, 2017, something like that. So it was, yeah, the stars did align in some regard, but it was, uh, you know, a bit of luck and timing and that, that's how I fell into it. And I think a lot of people, if you talk to a number of people in the industry today that have been in it sort of 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you know, it's changed now that you can go to college and there are undergrad programs right. in real estate right. and facilities management mm-hmm. and engineering that kind of at least from the outside in correlate well to real estate right unlike biology right <laughs> but um you know i think uh it, it just worked out the way it did for you know just for good fortune right and you mentioned too you said 2017 but i think you meant 07 correct that's right yeah i said 17 yeah that made it five years but that's an important date though 07 because that is one year before the crash of 08. That's right. And, and you know, that is an interesting time to really get your career started. I did the same thing at the advanced group where I started, you know, right when COVID hit. Um, so, you know, tell us about that because that certainly presents its challenges. And, um, you know, what was that like back then? Because I was, I was still in college at the time. And so I wasn't, I was in college and as you could talk about the social life and stuff, you know, I wasn't really concerned. In the five-year program? Exactly, yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Unofficial masters. That's that's right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Um, But, you know, what was that was like being new in your career and navigating through that? How did you approach that? What what did you do that allowed you to, you know, push through and and last? Um, That was one of the, the big kind of like pulls and lures to getting into the business. At the time, all people were talking about was how much money they were making and um it was you know a super hot market it was you know riding the wave and um you know i started this real estate firm and then all of a sudden just you know the world shuts down right and you know admittedly it was just ignorance i didn't know much about business or the city or the economy or real estate or the impact of you know the financial markets and the housing market collapsing it was just carry on honestly I didn't look too much into it I didn't pay you know too many minds to it I kind of just carried on as I as I was doing leading up to that and you know the conversations kind of told me everything I needed to know you know I was talking to you know CFOs and heads of real estate and and COOs and was asking them about their real estate and their space and their employees and their response wasn't just hanging up the phone it was I don't know if I'm going to have a job or a company in six months. So the last thing I need to do is talk to you about real estate right now, which, okay, that's just as good as a no, you know, then you just keep going. And so a lot of the people that I started with uh, left the business within that year, sort of the 08 to mid 09. Um, You know, maybe they saw the writing on the wall and just thought it was going to be such an uphill climb and a long climb thereafter, which it was. Um, 
but I kind of just kept working through it and, um, you know, came out the other side with, you know, some good life lessons and a better understanding of, you know, having lived through a cycle and, uh, again, set somewhat of a foundation for, you know, at least what we've been through in the last 18 months, right? Another blip in the system right. and kind of sticking with it and being patient. And that's, that's been, you know, kind of a reoccurring theme. Certainly, certainly is. And so what I find interesting now, where are you from in England? So I grew up in Essex. Essex. Essex is like the county to the east of London. Right. So and as far as it being a metropolitan area, you know, is there a, a downtown where there is office space, you know, maybe not similar to like in New York, but say like a, uh, you know, Philadelphia or something like that. What is the landscape there like? The, the only reason I ask is because what I found when I got involved in real estate in general and like office space, you start to look at it different. And like, you know, when you went back to England, um, and even to London, you know, not just Essex, you know, how do you look at it differently now? How do you look at space differently? And how does space compare uh, internationally to here? Yeah, so Essex is a, a, a county, but our counties are like your states. Right. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. It's rural, it's metropolitan in certain areas of Essex. Um, you know, London always feels like the baby brother to New York. It's a lot more dispersed. Right. It's not as concentrated uh, because you're not stuck on an island, obviously. Right. Um, but, you know, I think progressing through my career, um, I think you tend to appreciate architecture a bit more now. Certainly. I mean, early on, it was just that's a building and there's offices in there and people sit in there and work. And now you kind of gravitate towards certain details and you notice things differently and you appreciate architecture and you appreciate kind of the monumental effort it takes and the expense to you know, develop something or build a new building out of the ground. Um, and obviously the UK and London specifically has got some incredible architecture, as, as does a lot of Europe. Um, but being in my backyard, yeah, it's it's been nice to go back and then kind of see uh, the similarities, but also those unique differences that, that make London what it is. Right. And that's especially what I like about traveling in Europe, too. You have to remind yourself that there are buildings there that are older than America as a whole which like is is you know quite like a, a thought to think you know just just passing over our birthday actually uh last week i think it was 245 years you know there are buildings in in, in london and throughout europe that are uh you know 300 400 years yeah. old and and have been you know repurposed and and be, have, have become uh office buildings or, or retail spaces and it, it's always very fascinating to fascinating to me to be over there and and, and see you know how that spacious functions and you know that kind of leads into to what we're looking at here in New York now is the function of space and, and how uh, tenants and uh, just just people in general are using space now coming out of the pandemic what have you been seeing from 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 your clients and, and how they are approaching their space now whether it's their existing space or they're looking for new space what have you been seeing a lot? What type of questions and, and, and you know what type of concerns or areas of interest are you seeing from uh, your your clients in, in in the market? It's a it's a bit of a mixed bag, I think question and answer. Right. Um, again, depending who you ask, but it's very um, it's very specific to each company. Um, you can't really make a generalization about it, but specific clients I think are I think we're seeing similarities b between now and some other kind of downturns 
um, but also some reoccurring questions which have always been, which is like the, the biggest question is, you know, how much space do I take? Um, am I taking enough? Am I, am I taking too much? Um, and how to manage that growth? Um, but I think the last 12 months have taught us um, more about company culture and employee engagement right, right. and you know work-life balance and improving that balance at the office even if you can't work from home all the time so you've at least committed to the fact that you need to commute in or you need to work in your office but how can we make that more engaging for the employees so that they actually enjoy spending time at the office um, so you know workplace has been you know, this buzzword that's been flying around for, you know, the last few years. Right. Um, and we've got a super talented, you know, workplace strategy group in-house at Savills. And they've been really busy because that's the forefront of every organization right now. Yes, we have a lease. Um, how do we bring our employees back? How do we keep them focused? How do we keep them safe? And, um, you know, let's understand what's important to them and try and implement that in our space going forward. Now's a great time to kind of effectuate that change. Right. Uh, particularly if you're looking at addressing your real estate, whether it's growth or downsizing or a restructure of an existing obligation. Uh, but also use that time wisely to kind of, you know, poll your employees and talk to the key stakeholders and talk to departmental heads and figure out, you know, if you could start over, what would you want? Or how would you do it differently? Or do you need more conferencing? Do you need more soft seating? So there's a lot of that conversation going on at the moment in addition to, you know, what's the financial burden that we have and how can we make smarter decisions about our real estate going forward? Right, and, and you know, part of that exodus from New York City too was like, uh, you know, lower rents and things like that. And, and a lot of companies, you know, you see the Facebooks of the world, the Apples of the world who really snatched up real estate and took that, took that as an opportunity. To, you know, uh, get space at a at a discount essentially. Mm -hmm. um, are, are you seeing that too with a lot of uh, tenants? You know, not so much because one of the things that I found fascinating with the pandemic was uh, limiting commuting. You know, that was like being. I mean, obviously, you know, the New York City subway is disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, the less you can take that, the better. Um, and, and and clients and tenants were using the city almost as like a campus structure where you know they might have a space in Brooklyn they might have a space in Manhattan you know maybe Long Island what have you have you been seeing that at all in terms of uh, d d dispersing a portfolio a little bit in, in that regard yeah I think it's uh, again organization specific and headcount specific right um, you know the average you know 50 person company is probably not going to get too much in the weeds with that certainly um, but when you start getting up to the 100, 200, 300 or larger portfolio companies that have perhaps a few dots on the map or at least they have, you know, the mothership in New York and they want this distributed workforce model where, you know, Florida and Carolina and Texas and Austin and, you know, the certain states and cities started getting traction um, when people realized that their employees were going to these places during the pandemic um, and had at least voiced that if we could do this, you know, kind of going forward, they they have no problem relocating there. Um, there's obviously a ton of capital and expense involved in doing that, right. um, and perhaps salary adjustment, which has been, you know, an argument that companies have made as to justifying people coming back. Of course, like, listen, you can work in Florida, but we're going to pay you Florida salary. Right. You can't pay, you know, the New York rate if you're in Florida because you've got, you know, capital gain. You've got, um, you know, state income tax improvements and. So, 
it sounded great initially. Um, some people have been successful at it. Some businesses have, have done well, um, but it's not for everyone. And I think it, you know, I think the honeymoon phase is, is over for a lot of people. Yeah, that was a bit of a pipe dream and kind of wishful thinking. And um, maybe like the the farthest end of the spectrum of this new, you know, workplace frontier that we're seeing. Um, and, and for some companies, like you said, it certainly does work and there is certainly some potential there. You know, we at the advanced group did relocate a number of people, uh, you know, more so than other years and especially during a pandemic, you know, outside of the state to, you know, the Floridas, the Carolinas, like you mentioned, the mm -hmm. Texases. Um, I also did a number of moves, both commercially and personally, uh, from California to Texas, which was like, you know, just a, a caravan. Um, California had a tough run. It did. You know? It really did. It I mean, really did. Like the fires weren't enough. Right. Exactly. You know, we're dump everything else on you. Exactly. Exactly. So they got some work to do there for sure. Um, but uh, what I was getting at was in the sense of have you what percentage of your clientele even like entertain that approach as far as those type of satellite offices, you know, because it is a special type of company, you know, it is where the headcounts have to be, you know, over 200 at least um, to, to do something like that. You know, were you seeing a lot of clients asking the question, what would our portfolio look like if we had office, if we, if we limited our space in New York and then opened up a space in like a Carolina and a Florida, were those questions you were getting? Yeah, I think it's, it's been a conversational piece. Again, um, there's a misconception uh, I think for for executives and business owners that you're you're in a lease and you know you're not getting any rent relief last summer and there was no deferrals and right. that's it you kind of have your lease and you're paying your rent and that's it there's nothing else you can do there's always something you can do right and part of that activity is exploring other ways in which you can uh, manage your business manage your real estate uh, manage your people is there something else that you can be doing. And we've had a lot of those exploratory conversations over the last 12 months, um, even with people that are smaller companies, you know, 30, 40, 50 people to say, what about if we keep a PO address in New York and move 95% of our employees out of state? Wow. So there's a lot of that conversation going on because people like to know what others are up to. Exactly. They want to know, they want to aggregate that peer data to know what competitors or peer groups are doing. It helps them justify or rationalize a decision one way or another certainly um and it gets the messaging right to their employees as well like we're big believers in new york we thought and think this is temporary we're making a commitment to improve the environment and the culture for the company certainly and we've listened to you know your your questions and your queries and this is what this is our game plan going forward or we hear you we hear that you like remote work or you'd like to be in a different environment or you're tired of the subway and the commuting and the metropolitan feel of the the office or the culture that we're building we're relocating to you know south carolina certainly so i think bringing all of these resources to the table and having those conversations it's been the perfect time for that because you know the city was it was like a ghost town last year it was there was no one around and people were in leases with not a lot to do other than perhaps apply for ppp and you know, keep their employees engaged as much as possible with the work that they had in front of them. Exactly. And, and, and as you speak about that, you know, these different options and, and, and different approaches, 
and stuff like that. You know, I think that's what Savills and the Advanced Group both have in common as far as kind of being that one-stop shop for all of these questions, all of this planning. Uh, you know, one of the things, if, if companies do have that P.O. box in New York, but they want to set up offices in Carolina, you know, that's where we can help. Um, you know, they're a New York company, we're a New York company, but we can help get you started in wherever it may be. You mentioned Carolina. Uh, you know, just as easy as if you were in New York. And I think that's the same approach that you would take at, at Savills too. You know, it doesn't matter the market. We are a industry expert who is really here to, to, to make sure this transition, whatever it may be, whether it's back to the office in New York or in another market elsewhere, as, as easy as possible for all of your employees. Because one of the things I wanted to mention too is when you're making those changes, you know, not only does it show that you're listening to employees, but it also keeps you competitive. Uh, again, you know, referencing back to sports, the franchises or clubs who tend to fail are the ones who, you know, rest on their laurels. Um, you know, you see it with like Barcelona right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's the same with any organization is you have to be dynamic and you have to be willing to change. Um, and again, we can help manage that change. Uh, so, you know, as we transition to one of the things I've really enjoyed about Savills even before I knew you too is uh you know a couple of their different internal branches and offerings and for our listeners let me just kind of paint the picture a little bit Savills is the largest global tenant rep in the world meaning that it's a mouthful it is it is I did a good job getting (laughs) that all out there too um meaning that they exclusively represent the tenants through the real estate transaction. So comparable to other large real estate firms where they will also be landlords uh, and, you know, tenant reps, uh, Savills is exclusively tenant reps. And, 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 you know, that means that they continually have the tenant's best interest in mind. And with that, offer certain services internally that are specifically unique to Savills, um, and, and that's correct in saying, right? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, we're, we're completely occupier focused. So the end user, the people that are actually gonna be sitting in an office, uh, those are our clients. It's not the building owner, it's not the landlord, it's not the developer. Um, we do do some of that work you know, throughout the globe, but specifically in the US, um, it's the end user that are our clients and we're focused on you know, protecting um, and mapping out that their business plan and their real estate plan align as closely as possible. Um, and you know, part of that has been what we were just talking about. Like, where do you have your employees? Where are your clients? Um, is there an interaction, or is it just you know people in an office? Where do you draw talent from? Where are the labor pools that are important to you as a as an organization going forward? And one of the groups that we uh, we brought in house a few years ago was uh, Kelly Consulting Group (KLG), who they live and breathe. Um, consulting, state incentives, and uh, labor analytics day to day. That's that's essentially what they do. So when you talk about um, this distributed workforce model, or an existing client that has perhaps a portfolio of offices, 10, 15, 20, 100 locations, um, all throughout the world, but specifically in the US, um, where's a logical place to either retain an office or perhaps open up a new one or move one to? And these guys really dig into into the data around, um, well, how are you gonna grow that office? Uh, where are you gonna pull employees from? How are you gonna recruit and retain that employee base? Um, and those are key decisions, because that's really gonna, you know, obviously drive the profitability of the company, but also, you know, keep the culture consistent across the brand. 
I, I did. Mean, you saw that. You must have seen that I globally. Did. Right? I did. Yeah, correct. Exactly. And I, and I did see those decisions being made internally at a company. You know, what? why are we going to start in this city? You know, there were some uh, internal data that allowed us to even, you know, think about it. We would see, you know, whatever clicks per day or, or however you may see like, okay, this is a hot market for us, but how can we make it grow? And, and that information is so key, uh, you know, specifically for hiring, what type of talent can you get out of these uh, markets? And then not only that, but if you're building an office out there, where you're building that office to attract that talent is so vitally important. Mm -hmm. You know, what is around there? What restaurants, what uh, transportation stations, uh, you know, all of those things. And and to have, again, an internal team who can assist you with that uh, is so incredibly valuable because, uh, you know, one of the things that I constantly remind myself is the people who you're dealing with, specifically C-level executives, just because they're C-level executives does not mean they know about real estate or about, you know, workplace strategy. Uh, or moving. Or moving, exactly. Anything. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. None of that. So, you know, that's why we're here to, to assist them and, 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 you know, provide them with that valuable information that uh, they wouldn't even think to, you know, ponder. Um, and, and that's where we can be of great value for them. And then the other really interesting uh, branch of, of, of Savills that I've really enjoyed learning more about his work there. And, and again, part of the discussion, and before I ask, we talk about work there, I'd like to get your opinion on it as a whole, um, is the shared office space and, and that function of you know, real estate and, and, and uh, options for companies to have is shared office space. So you know, they might have, let's say hypothetically speaking, they're going to try out a new market, but we're going to start with a shared office space and then let it grow organically from there and kind of grow our space with our hiring. It's a perfect segue without, you know, committing too long term and and overexposing yourself or the business. Right. And and what are your thoughts on shared office space as a whole as it's like position in the market? You know, what do you see as its value um, and, and what do you see as its future? It's been a bumpy road, right, yeah. for, you know, we can say we work, right? Yeah, we I, work, I was there. You know, so, yeah. so, yeah, it's all right. Um, over the last, you know, decade, if you will, um, you know, Regis, IWG spaces, they've, they've been around for a long, long time. Um, we work were born, you know, obviously out of, out of Brooklyn and just exploded, you know, right concept, right time. Um, arguably wrong management and organizational structure internally. Um, but they, they kind of, they got onto something. And um, again, it was at the time when people were coming off the back of the Lehman Brothers collapse and the housing market and perhaps were out of jobs and finally were almost forced in a way to follow their passion and, and start a company from you know their basement and say, you know what, I wanna do my own thing and be an entrepreneur. and but I want to be around those people too. And like, where's a place for me to go and do that? So it was perfect timing. Um, and I think now we may be at a point of, we've, we've kind of figured out the kinks. Um, there's obviously been a lot of change at WeWork and they're, they're trying to stabilize the ship and right size themselves um, after that you know, massive, I guess, five-year growth plan that they had right. just opening everywhere. Right. Um, Notel obviously filed for bankruptcy. Yep. So um, a lot of their spaces have gone back to the landlords and, you know, they're in the courts and so forth. So I think there's absolute relevancy for it going forward 
for the points that you open with. I mean, it's it's ideal for um, certain headcounts, um, certain stages that a company may be at. You may, you know, maybe a, a year into the business or two years in, and you're still not ready to, you know, plant the flag and commit long term. But having said that, I think traditional landlords are also becoming more flexible to the notion that, you know, the age of the tenant coming in and and by the way, tenants are still doing this, but the age of certain tenants coming in signing 10 or 15 year leases, um, you really have to have either uh, incredibly stable business right. or you know tons of visibility that it's gonna make sense for you. Um, and there's a portion of the market that that, is, that still works for. Um, but then you've got this, this bulk of the market where you know, perhaps the five-year lease makes sense as opposed to 10 or the seven instead of 15 or the three instead of 10. Right. Um, and I think flex office space is kind of the conduit or the bridge between, exactly. you know, the one person month to month and then the 10-year lease. And it's a, it's an option and an alternative to perhaps, perhaps a, you know, a one to three-year lease now. Right. And I think that's the, that's the segment that it's going to survive best in yeah. um, and thrive in. Yeah, I certainly agree. You put it nicely there as, as like the conduit to the bridge to that, you know, three-year lease. and stepping stone. Exactly. exactly. And, if, and if you want to stay in it because you like the model and it makes sense and the location's great and it's just easy having a, an organization take care of everything for you and you don't have to staff a receptionist, you don't have to worry about right. the food and beverage component for your office. Even meeting spaces, you know, in conference rooms and bringing tenants, or not tenants, but clients into the, you know, space and having a place to meet that you know is reliable and it's Maybe good. you do it forever. Right, exactly. That's you, okay. you never know, yeah. Yeah, and, and and one of the things too while I was at WeWork that we really started and, um, you know, tried to build on there was the enterprise model. And, you know, for that company, not even that, but we also had um, like office headquarters by we, HQ right. by we. You get a whole floor. Exactly. And it's and like your space, but it's still managed by them. Right, precisely. And like it was a perfect option for that company that may have started with, Two employees grew to 20s and now onto the space set for 50. Um, and then, you know, from 50, then you become an enterprise client. So they really, um, you know, paved the way for growth there. And, and that was one of the things they did well. Um, but now, stemming back to work there, what I understand work there as is basically a search engine for shared office space in different markets and helping tenants understand what their best options may be whether it based on location, whether it based on affordability, uh, size, whatever it may be. There are different filters that uh, you know, clients can go into work there and, and, and find what is, their, what is the best fit for them in a shared office uh, space. That is essentially what work there does, is that correct? Yeah, so we've got um, a dedicated team that run our work there um, service both you know in north america and also throughout europe and the original way that people would do this is you've got a client and um they say we want to open an office up in in los angeles Mm -hmm. for one person and traditionally as a broker you would call if you had an office as an organization you would call your office out in la or perhaps call someone that you knew in that office and had a relationship with and said Jack, I've got my client in New York is XYZ and, you know, the managing partner or the CEO is relocating to LA. He wants an office out there for one person. Um, Can you help me out? And then it would be incumbent upon that broker in LA to kind of scour the market for one office and evaluate all the options and, you know, present them and 
and kind of kick it back to you so that when the CEO is out there, he can kind of just do the tour and see everything. And it was a bit of a cumbersome, antiquated, and candidly, a not very rewarding way, at least to the broker, to kind of manage a one-person right. account. Right. Um, so trying to preserve your client relationship, it's all about, like you were talking about, you know, the full-service, end-to-end delivery as a, as a business. And so work there, we're able to pass on these certain requests to them where they're you know, very size and location specific and the work their platform has a live plug and a feed into all the flex office providers that exist. Right. Um, there's no downside for them being involved with WeWork. Um, so if we were looking at, let's just say a, a WeWork in Los Angeles, they have up-to-date daily information on all the availabilities and all the pricing for a one-person office in the LA market. So within you know a matter of minutes, we're able to churn back that report to me, I don't have to call my colleague right. in LA anymore. Right. And so um, brokers that either don't have an office out there or didn't have a relationship would kind of be left scrambling. Like, right. do I fly out there? What do I do? Do I call a friend that may know a broker out there? And then there's that that consistency in deliverables and you know uh, company image that you're trying to put forth. So having this resources in-house has been really, really helpful. Certainly. Um, and they kind of just run with it and take it and manage it. and the client is getting the same experience as if it was me working with them. Exactly. And, and from a from a time and knowledge standpoint, that is so incredibly valuable as a tool because, like you said there, you know, rather than scrambling, rather than trying to figure out a market you may not be familiar with, you have a technology that offers a um, reliable search to get you the information you need quickly. And again, from a service standpoint, you know, you can turn that over to your client and, and and really provide them with a with a foundation of knowledge that is going to help them make that that decision. So, kind of to paint the picture here, as 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 we finish up, what we just talked about as far as you know, Oliver representing a uh, tenant in the market as a client, and they're looking in a new market. Savills internally has an internal team who can help you understand the demographic at that market, who you're going to be hiring for. What are the uh, key variables that you need as a part of that office, whether, like I said, it be transportation, um, you know, entertainment, uh, what have you in that regard. And then also alternative options for standard leasing office space with work there that can provide uh, shared office space options, not just that we work, but also the industriouses, the convenes, the smaller workplace options or, or shared office space options as well that, um, you know, can help you flourish in that new market is that correct that's right yeah that's exactly it. yeah yeah that's really great and i and i mean again as somebody who has sat on that end user side uh that's an incredibly valuable service and uh just you know information and wealth of knowledge to have it, it really is so so oliver again I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh you know just as we finish up again you 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 are a football player uh, from England, how how you feeling going into the match with Denmark today? Look, I feel great. Yeah, I feel great. I think the hot, not the hard work's done, but we had some hard matchups before. So England two nil. Oh, England two nil. That's the call. Two nil. That's that's what I'm I'm expecting of the boys is two nil. Um, so hopefully you won't you won't text me after today and make me eat more words. No, but I hope not either. Well, we'll look, have you on again, so we'll talk about it. I've got to come back, and we've got to talk. We've got to relive it. But it's in England, right? And then the final is in England. I mean, it's come at on, Wembley. So how do you not 
deliver on that. That's I what mean, I'm saying. But the pressure's on, right? The right. pressure's on now for England to deliver and the fans. And, you know, there's been this July, I don't get into politics, but there's been this July 19th date where England's supposed to open up from oh. the COVID lockdown. So I think fans and the momentum and the energy of the country is really like they've got something to get behind. Right. This would be the perfect segue to winning the Euros and then the country opens up within a week after that and, and you know, the Brits can enjoy the rest of their summer. I'm so. getting goosebumps just thinking yeah. about it. Because <laughs> um, this would be the first time in like 25 years, right? I mean, yeah. it was 96 last time, right? Yeah, it's been, you it's guys, been a while. Yeah, you guys, yeah, you deserve it. You deserve it. After everything we've gone through, um, I, I'll be rooting for them too. I, I have Italian heritage, but, uh, you know, I, I'll root for England on this one. That'd be a fun final. Yeah, it would you know? be. Italy, Italy, because who's Italy playing? Italy beat Spain yesterday. Oh, that's right. On penalties. Oh, wow. So they're See, in I the final. They're, yeah. they're waiting. Nice. They're waiting for England or Denmark. So um, have you been to Italy? I have not. That's actually one of the few places in Europe I haven't been uh, is like the Mediterranean area. Mm-hmm. I've done more like northern London, Dublin, mm-hmm. uh, Amsterdam, Berlin. Um, but I haven't gone down to the Mediterranean yet. It's next year uh, I'm planning on it, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, I'm actually working on a dual citizenship uh, oh, nice. Yeah, for, in Italy. Uh, me and in my Italy. family, yeah, me and my family oh. have a uh, a gateway to get there. So when that happens, which it, it should be finalized this year, and then we'll get the get the uh, you know passport next, uh, we'll make our way over That'd there. That'd be exciting. Yeah, yeah. Look, once you get in there, it's it's easy to travel around. Exactly, the EU passport is so valuable. I spent a lot of time in Spain growing up. It's sort of the you know the dumping ground for Brits in the summer. <laughs> you know, kind of Amer- New Yorkers August, go to Florida. August, you right? go to Ibiza. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so everyone ends up in Spain. But Spain's a beautiful country, and you know, I did. I've done a lot of Europe. It's you know one of the huge benefits of being in the UK and in Europe. It's easy to travel around. Right. Um, but I also have never been to Italy either. So it's definitely on uh, you know on the bucket list to go and uh, you know check it out. Yeah. Only good things. Certainly. So you know maybe next time we talk, uh, hopefully. England's got a win, and uh, you know we're we're planning trips to Italy. We'll, we'll do the podcast on a boat on the, in the Mediterranean. <laughs> now we're right? talking. Right? Now right? we're <laughs> talking. Once this thing takes off, Oliver, thanks okay. again. I really appreciate awesome it, man. Job. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate take, it. Yep. Take care, everybody. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast at theadvancedgrp.com. That's theadvancedgrp.com.